So I want us now to turn to Romans chapter 10, verse 14, and read down to the end of the chapter. Although I'm only really going to look at verses 14 and 15, but we'll read the whole whole of the rest of the chapter. Uh, Romans 10, verse 14. Actually, I'll read from verse 13. (laughs) For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. But how are they to call on him whom they have not believed? And how are they to believe in him of whom they have never heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? And how are they to preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. But they have not all obeyed the gospel. For Isaiah says, Lord, who has believed what he has heard from us? So faith comes from hearing, and hearing through the word of Christ. But I ask, have they not heard? Indeed, they have. For their voice has gone out to all the earth, and their words to the ends of the world. But I ask, did Israel not understand? First Moses says, I will make you jealous of those who are not a nation. With a foolish nation, I will make you angry. Then Isaiah is so bold to say, I have been found by those who did not seek me. I have shown myself to those who did not ask for me. But of Israel, he says, all day long I have held out my hands to a disobedient and contrary people. Amen. Let's bow our heads in prayer. Father, as we come to your word again, as we prayed, may you come by your spirit and breathe upon us. Help us to understand what you've said to us. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So this evening I just want to talk about uh, saving faith and uh, how saving faith comes to us. uh, Just by looking at verses 14 and 15. And uh, there's a lot of loose talk about faith in the world. Um, Lots of people talk about their faith. Uh, Most people believe that faith has something to do with religion. And some people believe that they have faith without religion. I'm not a religious person. I'm not a religious person, but I'm a spiritual person, some people will say. And uh, they won't associate necessarily with a formal religion but they think of themselves as having a kind of faith. And people also talk about faith as a personal possession. They talk about my faith or your faith. Uh, So it's a a personal possession that they have. It's something that is owned and experienced and exercised. And, of course, there's no question that uh, that in the New Testament, faith is vital to the, the Christian life. Uh, just quoting Hebrews 11 verse 6, for example, without faith, it is impossible to please God, to please him. Uh, but, what is this faith that we, we talk about? What is the faith that the Bible speaks of? Um, is it the same as all other experiences of faith? Is the faith that you have the same as the faith someone has in Islam or in Buddhism or whatever else people claim to have faith in? Does it matter what your faith is in? 
Aren't all faiths the same? Many people think that. How important is faith? Does it really matter if it's strong or weak? Does it matter what, what your faith is in? And if it does matter, what should your faith be in? So how would you answer the question, what is saving faith? What is saving faith? And once you know what it is, have you got it? Do you have this kind of faith? That's what I want to think about with you this afternoon. And I want to do so by uh, looking at something that the Apostle Paul has said about it in Romans 10, verses, especially verses 14 and 15, uh, where he says this. How are they to call on him whom they have not believed? And how are they to believe in him? And the ESV says, of whom they have never heard. But I think a better translation is, how are they to believe in him whom they have never heard? There's a subtle implication that Christ speaks during preaching. Um, And how are they to hear without someone preaching? And how are they to preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach good news. And Paul, what Paul is doing here is he is working back through a chain of events. uh, Starting out with a person who, who calls on God going back to believing the gospel, and then going back further to hearing the gospel, and then further back again to someone who preaches the gospel. See, see this chain of events. Somebody preaches the gospel, the person hears the gospel, the person believes the gospel, and then calls out to God for salvation. That's the kind of plan, that's, uh, that's the idea that Paul has in his mind about how preaching works. And in the midst of it, it is Christ who preaches. How can they believe uh, unless, let me just find it, where's the verse? <laughs> and how, can, how are they to believe in him whom they have never heard? Hearing Jesus in the preaching is what brings people to faith, saving faith in Christ. And it's the Lord, of course, who sends out the preachers. Uh, so the preachers need to be sent with the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so these verses actually show us something vital about what saving faith or faith in the Bible actually looks like. It's not just a feeling. It's not just a vague sense of attachment to church. But a living, active, active, saving faith, a, a calling out kind of faith, a resting faith, trusting faith. What I want to do this evening, is, this afternoon, is to, is to work through three things. That saving faith consists of something that is heard and known. Then it also consists of believing that something to be true. And then thirdly, entrusting your life to that same thing that you believe to be true that you've heard. So three things, something that is heard, and that thing then being believed, and then in believing you entrust yourself to Jesus Christ. Look at those in turn, and first of all, something that's to be heard and known. And you'll notice that in verse 15, 
uh, people need to hear the message that is preached by a messenger, the preacher. And Paul's point here is that there needs to be someone to explain the message so that people can know what the gospel message is. Somebody needs to just know enough, qualified if you like, to be able to preach the gospel accurately and proclaim it so that people can hear and understand it. So you need to have people who are able to communicate clearly so that the hearer can make sense of it. Now what is the message that is to be preached? Paul has been working through the elements of this in his letter so far. And it starts with the bad news, doesn't it? It starts with uh, all the troubles of human beings, that we lack a righteousness, uh, that, we, that counts with God and uh, we're left in our sin and our ungodliness and the wrath of God therefore is, is continually on the people of God as he gives them over to their sins. And so Romans chapter 1 verse 18 through to 3.23 spells out this terrible picture of human beings who have rebelled against God and so they enter into all kinds of sins and pay no attention to who God is. And so you look around the world and you see people continually rebelling against God, ignoring him, rejecting him. And all of that is what God calls sin. It's all the manifestations of human sin. And even religious people are sinful. That's what he goes on to talk about in chapter 2 and into chapter 3. They can be full of their pride and and selfishness and self-righteousness. And so Paul concludes in 3.23, that famous verse, for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. There's a glory that man ought to have, being made in God's image, but mankind has fallen short of that in all his sinfulness. And now, it's a terrible situation. Why? Because, Because God is against you as a judge call you to account for all your sins. However, that's the bad news, but there's good news. That God in his love has stepped in and taken the initiative. He sent his son, his only, only beloved son. And his son willingly goes. His son agrees with the father. And together they work, they have a plan. And the Holy Spirit's involved as well plan to save men and women and the son has to come and suffer take a body, we'll think about that this morning and previously he takes a body a human body and a human soul comes and is a man living on this earth living a perfect life but suffering a death on the cross that he doesn't deserve he alone of all the people in all the earth does not deserve death and yet he is the one who comes and he takes it And he does it representatively as a head of a new humanity for all those people for whom he came to save. And therefore people can have eternal life now. They can come to God. They can have a righteousness through Jesus. A righteousness they can't work up themselves but can be given from Jesus, from God through Jesus Christ. And can be saved. And enter into eternal life. It's a glorious, glorious message. And of course there's so much more that we could go into. And the the depths and the profundity. And we've been doing that over the last few months. 
just as we've gone through Romans, the book of Romans. All the things that God has done for us, in our, for our salvation. But here's the thing. You need to know some of these basic facts before, uh, in order for you to have saving faith. If you don't know those things, know about your sin, know about Jesus coming to save you, suffering and dying on the cross in your place, and if you put your faith in him, if you don't know these things, then how can you be saved? How do you know what to do? How do you know how to respond? How do you know that there is a way to go? Unless somebody explains all that to you. And here's the amazing thing. You know, it, it always amazes me. I met so many people like this in, the United, in, in Solihull um, that it's possible for people to attend a church, maybe even for years, to attend a church and never understand what it is that Jesus has done to save sinners. All they can think of is that Jesus is simply a moral example. Somebody we could emulate somehow. How can you possibly emulate him? His work is unique. Only he could come as he did. The question is not really, what would Jesus do? And we'll try and do it as well. The question is really, what did Jesus do for us in the past? That we could be saved. And many people don't understand that. Many people who go to church in the United Kingdom don't understand that. And there are many reasons for that. Perhaps they never hear it taught in their church. Perhaps the minister uh, has been, is negligent and just never preaches it. Or, or the minister, him or herself these days, uh, just doesn't teach it. Doesn't believe it themselves. Whatever the case, uh, you know, the person has never heard it. Or maybe the person is not listening. Maybe the person doesn't believe there's anything worth listening to. I've just done my duty. I've come to church. But I don't have to pay attention to what the minister says. Or the preacher says. And sometimes that happens when the preacher preaches faithfully. But you still get people in the congregation who don't really listen to what the preacher is saying. And so they don't know what the gospel is. Switch off. They're looking at the, the birds and the trees outside. Or they're thinking about their lunch. Or they're, or they're thinking about all the problems they've brought with them into the weekend. They're thinking about the following week and all the problems they've got to solve next week. Not really listening. Or sometimes just people want to believe something else. There are all sorts of reasons why people come to church. Sometimes they've got nothing to do with Christianity. You come because family says you should and you're trying to keep up appearances. But in your heart of hearts, you really believe something else. You know, some people are like that too. They never hear the gospel because they, they simply believe something else. That often happens. I invite you to to examine your own heart sometimes. Sometimes it's hard for us to hear truth because we believe something else. We can't really make sense of what that person's saying to us. And because we're a bit messed up, people can be a bit messed up about what the truth is that they just never hear the truth properly. It needs the Spirit of God to come help people to hear. So that they can respond well. So whatever the reason, 
If you don't hear and know what it is that Jesus has done on the cross and that he has risen from the dead, you can never have a real, living, saving faith. Do you know what Jesus has done for you this afternoon? I've just told you. Do you know what he's done? I hope you're listening. I hope you're paying attention. Uh, I don't want you to end up, any of you, to end up under God's judgment because you didn't listen to what the preacher was saying. Here's the second thing. That we need to believe, not only do we need to know what the gospel is, the basic facts of the gospel, we need to believe that it's true. Now, why do I say that? Well, Paul says, at the end of verse 14, he says, And how are they to believe in him of whom they have never heard? Uh, whom they have never heard? And how are they to hear without somebody preaching? You see, the steps are hearing and then believing. It's possible, I think, to hear and actually to know what the gospel is, but not believe it. So you may get all the information, and you've received it, you've heard the preachers preaching it, but you don't believe it. You may know what the Bible says about these things. You may know what the Bible says about the sinful nature of mankind and the predicament that he's in. You may know that Jesus Christ is the answer to that, and the, his, the answer to your death is, is his death and resurrection. And you, you know that that is what the Bible teaches, but you don't believe it to be true. You may come to a, or go to a good evangelical church that preaches and teaches the gospel. You may have been there many, many times. You may have enjoyed the service. You may enjoy the friendship. You may enjoy all kinds of things about that church. But you don't believe, it's possible not to believe that any of it's true. You may have been brought up in a Christian family and been to church every weekend of your life. But you still don't believe that the gospel message is true. You know it all, but you just don't believe it. You may even have memorized the Westminster Shorter Catechism from beginning to end, but you don't believe a word of it. You know it, but you don't believe it. Does that describe anybody here this afternoon? Maybe you're saying to yourself, maybe you are one of those people, and you're saying to yourself, Christianity is just not rational, so I won't believe it. Oh, really? Have you checked it out? Have you checked the eyewitness testimony that you find in the Bible? Because that's what it is, eyewitness testimony ancient documents which testify to the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. And, you know, when you understand it's eyewitness testimony, it's compelling. Have you looked into the story of his death? That he was brutally put to death by seasoned soldiers who knew what a dead person looked like. They knew how to kill somebody and to kill him slowly. But they knew how to kill him. That's a compelling story. Have you checked out the accounts of his resurrection from the dead? 
And admittedly, resurrections don't happen every day. I think they've only ever happened once. (laughs) Jesus rose from the dead. And when you check out all the options to explain why the tomb was empty, all of them have flaws in them, except the one that is hard to explain, that Jesus actually did rise from the dead. That's how I was convinced to become a Christian. I realized there was no other explanation to the empty tomb except that Jesus had actually risen from the dead. How compelling the story is. Are you sure that you've really looked into it? Maybe you're saying to yourself, I just don't care. (laughs) Tell me all this stuff, but I just don't care. Who cares? I know this story, but it just doesn't matter to me right now. None of my friends believe it. I don't want to be the odd one out. I just don't care. So maybe later. Shouldn't you care? Let me press you on that. What if you're wrong and you should have cared? Tonight, God could take your life. Could it be that next Sunday some of us will not be here to come to church? Because God has taken our lives? possible. You know, then you'll wish you had believed it. Because, but then you'll be too late. You could have believed a Savior. You had all the information. You knew the, the Bible. But you just didn't believe it. You rejected it. Shouldn't you care? Are you willing to take the risk? Believe the truth of the gospel. But here's the third thing. The final part of saving faith is to call on the Lord. How are they to call on him whom they have not believed? How are they to call? It's the final step. And you might might be saying, well, isn't just believing enough? Surely if I know the facts of the gospel and I believe them to be true, isn't that enough? Well, the Apostle James speaks about that kind of faith in James chapter 2. And people were calling that faith, you know, uh, I know the stuff, and I believe it to be true. But the problem was it was merely an intellectual belief. It didn't result in service and love, practical love for brothers and sisters. It was a kind of, just in the head, an intellectual faith. They knew the facts, they believed them to be true, but the evidence that they did not have of saving faith was that there was no change in their lives. Their lives were just the same as all the non-believers around, us, around them. And they, weren't, they weren't loving other Christians, they weren't serving them, caring for them. It was all in the head, it was an intellectual faith, what you might call an intellectual faith. And James's answer to that kind of faith is... In James 2.19, he says, You believe that God is one, you do well. Even the demons believe and shudder. Even the demons believe that kind of belief and shudder. See, that's a killer blow to to intellectual faith. 
The demons know the gospel. They know it better than you and I. They understand who Jesus is better than you and I. But they fight against him. And they reject him. And they fight in the vain hope that the whole plan of salvation can be overturned. They're not calling out to God for mercy. They're not calling out for salvation to the only possible Savior, Jesus Christ. These demons, they are utterly determined to fight against Jesus Christ. What this shows us is, it's not enough to know the facts of the gospel. It's not enough even to believe that they are true. Because you can still turn away from God. So one more thing is required. You need to call upon him and entrust your life to him and give yourself to him. Call out to him and be saved. You have to know your need to do that. You have to believe that Jesus Christ is the only one who can meet your need and save you. You have to call out to him for salvation. Friends, this involves wholehearted and trusting of yourself to Jesus Christ. There have been, uh, I'm getting to an age where I can't remember everything, but there have been at least three times when I have gone for surgery and gone under a general anesthetic. None of it serious. And when you think about it too much, Going under a general anesthetic is an amazing act of trust. I've known people who are really fearful about going for surgery and under a general anesthetic because they fear they may never wake up. It's an irrational fear because all the data shows you that survival rates are amazing. But you see, in going to surgery, it's not enough to know that there's such a thing as the surgery that you need. So what? It's not even enough to believe that the success rate is 99.9% and it will be successful if you were to have it. It's not enough knowing all that. Just believing those things doesn't make you better. It's necessary. All these things are necessary. Knowing and believing it is necessary, but it's not sufficient to make you better. And you need more. And so there comes a point where you, you need to be willing to put yourself completely in the hands of the surgeon. And you're utterly helpless. You can't do anything once you've been anesthetized. You're gone. And if you're not willing to do that, there's nobody who can help you Nobody can give you the surgery that you need. Friends, it's kind of like that with the gospel. It's one thing to know the gospel message of Jesus Christ. It's one thing even to believe that the gospel is true. It's quite another thing, though, to recognize your utter helplessness before God and put your lives, your life in the hands of Jesus Christ. So this is where saving, true saving faith comes. 
Because Jesus is the one who promises to shepherd you through life and carry you through death into glory. And you need to put yourself utterly in his hands for that. And it begins today. Have you called upon the name of the Lord Jesus Christ? Have you entrusted every aspect of your life to him? All your friendships, all your relationships, all your ambitions, even your very soul, have you entrusted to Jesus? You know, your relationships and your friendships and your ambitions, they can never save you. They can never deliver what they seem to promise. But Jesus can save you because he died for your sins. And he rose again in victory. And so you cry out to him, Oh Lord, save me. Save me. Have you called out to Jesus this way? And friends, you need to get this point. You really do. And say to the children as well, you need to call out to Jesus. You need to trust him. There's nothing else that matters in life so much as this, as calling out to Jesus. Everything else is dispensable compared to this. You must be willing to give up everything for him, if necessary. And that's when you have saving faith. So do you have it? Living, vital, saving faith in Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Father, thank you for the wonderful gospel. This faith, as we recognize, is divinely given we cry out to you Lord give us that faith to believe enable us to trust and trust ourselves to Jesus Christ into his arms that he may carry us into eternal life pray in Jesus name Amen